I'll say, bless the Lord, if you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Hi, Kairos. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor. We're going to get the plow on the ground quick tonight. All scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for correcting, teaching, rebuking, and training in righteousness. The way that I would paraphrase that is, as the church, we can say this with a lot of assurance. We have ultimate confidence in God's word. We have ultimate confidence in God's words. That doesn't mean that we don't have fears. Doesn't mean we don't have doubts. Doesn't mean we don't still have questions. Doesn't mean we have everything memorized, understood, wrestled down into a nice, neat presentation. But we believe with scripture that testifies that all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus Christ. And that everything in that book, you can find life and salvation within its pages. So therefore, we have ultimate confidence in the word of God. What we do not have confidence in right now is the air conditioner. You're welcome. And oh gosh, it's so hot. If that's the one thing we do to suffer for Jesus, get on your knees and weep, okay? What we do is we cut it off about once every six months just to make sure you realize that you need to be tithing. You're welcome. Somebody else will do it. Giving stations are on the way out. I'm ornery tonight, so just buckle your seatbelts. If this is your first time, come back. I get a lot nicer. But it's hot, and we're, we're going to grind it out, okay? We're going to work up a holy sweat in here tonight. We have ultimate confidence in God's word. I want you to picture this as we start to digest this scripture. If you're young Timothy, and you're getting a letter from your spiritual father, Paul, and you see those words written on the page, and your mind goes back to the first time that you met him, and you are a biracial, teenage, timid little boy in Ephesus, your mother is Jewish, your father is Greek, and you struggle with cultural and religious identity. Your mother and your grandmother have been telling your whole life about the scriptures and the God of the Hebrews. Your father's not really convinced, not really sure you ever fully have his approval or what he really thinks about you. And you go to hear this leather-lunged, knuckle-dragging preacher named Paul who sometimes drows on into the night and people are falling asleep but you never heard something so exciting, mysterious, and wonderful as he opens up the scriptures and reasons that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And you commit your life to Christ, and you walk up to him, and you say, will you disciple me? And he says, absolutely. And you become his intern, and he disciples you, and ultimately you become his ministry resident, and he pours his life into you, and you've never seen a man so fully alive and so fully on fire for God with a pure and holy ambition, and he adopts you as his spiritual son. And before you're ready, he hands over the reins to you to be the pastor at the church in Ephesus. And you're scared to death, and your only thing that's running through your mind is, yeah, but I'm not Paul. And you're not sure if you're called, you're, not, well, you're probably sure you're called, you're not sure if you're equipped, you're not sure if you have the right resources, public sentiment is starting to change, the mid-60 AD, around the time that this was written, persecution is starting to really ramp up for Christians, you're not really sure if this is what you signed up for, there was a fire that broke out in Rome, Nero the emperor was away, when he came back it was in a poorer section of town, so he took that opportunity to gentrify he built himself a part addition to his palace. All his constituents got really, really angry. When he heard about this, he pivoted politically and turned around and blamed the fire on the Christians. And widespread persecution opened up across the Roman Empire against believers. It was said that they set the fire. It was open season on Christians, so much so that for sport, 
Nero would let them be torn apart by the dogs, and it was also said that he dipped Christians in tar and set them ablaze for tiki torches for his night parties. And you're a young pastor who has ultimate confidence in the word of God, but you're not fully confident if you can step in to the season, the ministry, and the culture God is calling you into. So Paul's reminding his son in verse 14, I love it, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned. Take a minute and think about the first person you learned about God from. Thank him for him. Praise him. And if no one's ever sat you down and helped you learn who God is, so glad you're here tonight. We have a Bible reading group we'd love for you to have a spiritual family with. But how many of us have grown up learning the scriptures from our mothers, our fathers, our aunts, our uncles, our grandmothers, and just decided, you know what? I don't think I'm really going to continue in what I've learned. I've got about all the Jesus I need. That's great. Now it's just time for plans for my life. Thomas Long, professor of theology at Chandler School of Divinity, once said this, the greatest threat to Christianity today is not atheism, it's superficiality. The pandemic of biblical illiteracy and Christians who could care less that they hold the word of God, that their foremothers and forefathers died so that they could actually be in their hands is staggering. I don't know about you, but do you feel any healthy sense of guilt or shame that we have the written word of God and it collects dust? We were talking this week and one of our interns, her passion for ministry came from, she's like, I I got converted in the church, but I never got discipled in the church. And I had this book that had power, but I had no idea how to access it. Continue in what you have learned. There's no getting to the end of elementary truths. It's fundamentals again and again. So many of us in this room, if I were to take all the sermons and Bible lessons you sat under, you need to be reminded more than you need to be instructed. Do I have to sit up here and tell you because I need to tell myself, being in God's word is absolutely critical for your relationship with him. But I don't feel any power. I just don't feel like it. I understand sometimes discipline precedes delight. But I'm trying to step into my manhood and my childhood as a servant of Jesus Christ and understand that my mind rebels and is like an unruly child and has to be disciplined. And the first thing I wake up in the morning, I want God's thoughts and words transforming and renewing my mind because if not, I'm self-obsessed. I'm selfish and I'm self-condemning. And I've already started to spun out. I want these to be the words of life. I want more men and women in this room who cry out with Peter, hey, where else am I going to go? Who else has the words of life but you, Jesus? I know it means trial and testing and suffering and sacrifice, but I'm not going back to old ways that bring about death. A mind ruled by the spirit is life and peace. A mind ruled by the flesh is death. And I need as much life and peace as I can get. And I want to make sure that my mind is being ruled, governed, directed, guided, and informed by the living, active words of God. Remember what you have learned. It's not enough for us to learn. Because what's disconcerting, especially as a pastor, um, is uh, Duke University a number of years ago did a survey of evangelical 20-somethings. 
grown up in the church, sat him down, talked to him a little bit and said, okay, could you explain the gospel to me? What does it mean? Who is Jesus? Why did he come? What is the gospel? Out of their results, about 80% of them failed to articulate the basic tenets of the faith. There was no need for substitutionary atonement, fancy word, you're a sinner and someone had to pay the price. Didn't articulate any of that. Didn't articulate the fact that he was coming again or any direct involvement in the kingdom of God, mission of God, or active discipleship. What they did collectively articulate is what scholars like to call moral therapeutic deism, which is basically this. People have grown up in the church, supposedly studied God's words, said this is what the gospel means. I'm a good person, and sometimes God is there to help me. And he is just one of many ways, Jesus, to get to God. That's not in here, just so we're clear. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And I'm sorry if that's offensive. That's not exclusive, it's distinctive. And some of us need to learn how to hold together grace and holiness. Because if not, you're going to pick and choose and you're going to start to wind up being a lopsided Christian. Your wheels are going to be out of balance. If you're just about God's holiness, his rules, his righteous regulations, and you happen to be some know-it-all firstborn who naturally follows the rules, you're going to lord it over other people with condemnation and you're going to become a religious hypocrite and Pharisee because you're all about God's holiness and everybody measuring up. And you have no idea about the devastating grace that's available to you in this word. And there's some of you who you just want to rip some of the pages out of your Bible with his righteous requirements. That's Old Testament God. Try reading Jesus again. And watch him elevate standards to where your jaw will drop and will echo with the disciples. Lord, who can receive this teaching? Only to those who it is given. And it's been given to you and I. We understand that there is a holy God and a righteous Jesus who fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law because of his life, death, and resurrection, but now because of his spirit is allowing us to put to death the misdeeds of the body so that we can truly live and be a part of his mission and his message. Only continue in what you've been learning. And it's not enough, by the way, just simply to learn. This is where the English language is going to fail us because technically in the Greek, the word disciple means learner of Jesus. But when we hear learner, we hear what? Head knowledge. Pass the test. Fill out all C's on the Scantron. That's right, Braxton. I know what you're doing. Christmas tree, right? Let's just do enough to get by to pass the test. Hey, by the way, quick note, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Christian, just so we're clear, it is possible to ace the final and still fail the class for lack of class participation. Biblical reference, Lord, didn't we prophesy and cast out demons in your name? Depart from me. I never knew you. You never showed up day in and day out to discover who I really was. You used my name as an opportunity to use religious rules and regulations to promote your own self-agenda. Mercy, Lord. That's what happens when you start getting into scripture. You get worse and it gets better at the same time. You're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you're asking me to do that. Oh my goodness, I can't believe you're giving me the grace to do it. You're going to give me a family. You're going to give me your words. You're never going to leave me or forsake me. And even though I walk through the valley of the darkness of the shadow of death, 
you are with me. So I'll fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, it's going to comfort me. You're going to prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You're going to anoint my head with oil. My cup's going to overflow. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life so I can dwell, live, abide with the Lord forever and ever. You see what happens to me in my voice, in my posture, in my confidence? When it's my words, I'm kind of nasally. I'm kind of funny. I'm kind of self-deprecating. But the second I click into Scripture, there is a confidence that is not of me. It is an authority that I sit underneath and get on my face every day and go, I am not worthy. But if you'll continue to use me, I'll continue to speak it. Because we have ultimate confidence in God's word. And it's not just learning, it's living. It's not just learning, we got to move towards living. Only continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. That's conviction. That means a value. That means your obedience is catching up to your head knowledge. Now let me just go off real side note. I, I was in my 20s. I loved Jesus. I was a hot mess. <clears throat> I still am to some extent. I'm just more aware of his grace and more aware of his word today. I, I had so many questions, even though I had grown up in church. I had a lot of religion, but not a lot of relationship. And I knew that getting alone with God, reading his word, and reading his word in community was absolutely foundation. But I'm an ADD kid with learning disabilities, reading disabilities, writing disabilities. I would be in the word for two minutes, and already I'm daydreaming. Like, and you're, just, you're like, uh, this is awful. I'm like, can I make a five-minute quiet time? And at like 3.30, you're like, what? Felt like 20 minutes. I would read scripture. I'm like, I have no idea what that just said. I'm going cross-eyed. Like, and the worst part at all, I started out with Revelation because I was artistic. <laughs> And I'm just like, ah, oh, wow, this is an acid trip, and I have no <laughs> earthly idea what is happening, but someone needs to make a cartoon out of it. Yeah, that would be great. And then you read, you read certain things here, and you read other things here, and then all, you're trying to put together this full narrative. You're like, wait, what? It's a whole story? It fits together? Like, God knew about Jesus in the Old Testament? Wow. We, we got to know the Old Testament to understand half of what Jesus is saying. Okay. But I got to a place where I prayed this. Father, will you give me an insatiable curiosity for your word? Not help me understand everything I read. Not let me be a great teacher one day. Will you give me an insatiable curiosity for your word? And when I read, I want to be able to crawl up in my father's lap. Because scripture is God breathed. I want to feel the breath of my heavenly father whispering to me, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And not only do I just want simply head knowledge, I want intimacy. I want power. I want purpose. And I constantly want to bring my life, submit it to scripture and go, what do I need to do differently? Doug Paul is a buddy of mine. He uh, is a pastor in an inner city church. And um, he just talked about um, 
the incessant, nonstop influx of people coming to his church because of how it's around social injustice. But some people who are coming outside that circle a lot of times go, hey, um, when's the next time we're going to do a Bible study and go really, really deep in God's word? And he's like, uh, what do you mean by deep? Well, I know we have all this activity where we're supposed to live out our faith and convictions and we're supposed to actually put into practice what Jesus said, but we just really want to go deep. And he said, okay, what's the last Bible study you guys did? James, awesome. What widows are you taking care of? What? Well, James says take care of the widows, right? What orphans are you taking care of? Well, we're not. Okay, why don't we actually let some of our obedience catch up to our knowledge? And he said this, because <clears throat> I have no qualms whatsoever about those of us who want to go deep and mine out the mystery and majesty of God's word. In fact, I pray it for you. He interpreted it, though, and says sometimes when we say we want to go deep in God's word, what we really mean is we're spiritually bored. Because there's an area of obedience we have neglected to put into practice from the very word that we read. And instead of being obedient, we'd rather get another spiritual hit off of discovering a new insight or facet. But what if we go to the word of God and go, what does this say about you? What does it say about me? Here am I, Lord, send me. All my hopes, dreams, passions, expectations, all are at the feet of Jesus in this moment. I am underneath your authority. Direct me, redirect me. I repent and I continue to believe because I want the kingdom of God closer than anything that is next to me right now. Amen. We have ultimate confidence in the word of God. Men and women, I, I get it. I'm not trying to give you a, a pep rally pep talk for studying your Bible. I hope you go home and you read your Bibles for seven days straight and recommit your commitment to God's word in scripture and reading in community. Absolutely. I know we still have fear. I know we still have doubts. I know we still mess up. I love what Dallas Willard says. It's okay to have doubts about your faith. He says, everyone should probably doubt their faith and have faith in their doubts. Just take it to God and read scripture and wait for him to make sure you come to a place where you doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. Invite God in on the conversation. I, I, I know we have fear. Fear is, let's put fear on its knees and make it say its prayers in front of our faith in Jesus Christ. I know we have questions. By the way, when I read the Bible, nine times out of ten I have more questions than answers when I walk away. It's part of that holy curiosity thing that God actually answered. I was like, what is that? What is this? What is this? Which is why I need community to help me bear the weight of those questions. And for some of them to say, Chris, seriously, knock it off. Let's get out there. Let's do life. Let's do ministry. You're asking stupid questions. Thank you. I'll find new friends. I want this place to be a place where we are firmly committed to the foundational word of God, where we can say we have ultimate confidence in the word of God. Notice what I did not say. I have ultimate confidence in the word of God. My faith is not enough. I'm going to need yours, and you're going to need mine, which is why we do this together in community. There are going to be times in doubt and darkness, depression, despair, when we have all the issues coming and crushing down on us, and we're going to have to have men and women around us that say, we have ultimate confidence in the word of God. All of God's promises find their yes in Jesus, even though I know you don't believe it.
a single bit of it right now. I will believe with you and for you. I want that kind of community. I want that kind of community where we're just burping out scripture on each other. Not like in a condemnation way, but you're just like, oh, yeah, that, that's because that's where I was at in this morning. If I was to ask each one of you, what, what did God speak to you this morning? How many would be able to answer me? I want to be ready like that to give an account, to train, rebuke, correct, and teach in righteousness. I want to train in righteousness. I got a lot of muscles I need to build up in my righteousness. And usually when someone trains me, I'm just sore and angry. I want to walk away from my quiet time staggering like a drunk man going, oh, my gosh, my hammies are killing me. What does it look like just to mix it up with Jesus and go, oh, man, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to wrestle with that a little bit. I think the time has come for us to make a firm foundation commitment. None of this, hey, if there's leftover time. What if spending time in God's word was the irreducible factor on which you scheduled your life around? Because your life is dependent on it. There's a saying in uh, maritime that's a fancy word for sailing ships, brother. <laughs> Colors to the mast. Has anybody ever heard this before? Do we have any sailors out there? Well, is, that, is that a gender? Thank you. There we go. It's gender inclusive, I believe, sailors. Well, international maritime law dictates that a ship of war has to fly a flag of its country of origins before engaging in battle. So you have your flag, or you call them your colors, which is your identity and who you affiliate yourself with, which is why pirates back in the old days, they're dirty like this. They would just have a stack of flags. They'd look out there and go, oh, British flag, fly that up. Get close, shoot them, take all their stuff. Now, the really brave pirates are the ones that just flew the pirate flag. Just like, hey, we're coming for you. You're in trouble. Okay. But in a battle, if a captain really wanted to inspire men on his boat and going, hey, I, I don't know. We're about to go into this battle. I don't know if we're coming out the other side. But I want to let you know this. Surrender is not an option. We will fly our colors. We will not strike them. We will be loyal to the end. He where someone else in his crew would climb up to the top of the mast where the colors were flying and take out a hammer and nail and nail the colors to the mast, prophetically and poignantly saying, we'll never strike this flag. The ship will go down before we ever strike our colors. Men and women, let's nail our colors to the mast. We have ultimate confidence in the word of God. Let's make the decision before we get into crisis not to compromise. Yeah. That no matter what happens, no matter who we lose, no matter who we gain, no matter what diagnosis we get, no matter what our relationship status is, no what our bank account balance is, that we will have ultimate confidence in the word of God. And that regardless of how busy, how stressed, or how much anxiety we have, this is where we come for life and peace. Amen? So let's take 120 seconds and just try to lean and listen in to what God is pressing into you. What we like to do is create space after the word of God is preached to ask two simple questions. What is God saying to me? Learning. What do I need to do about it? Living. What had your name on it tonight? 
That's a fancy way of saying what encouraged you the most or what made you the most angry. The Holy Spirit can use both of those emotions. And if that's not easily accessible for you, I'd simply ask you these questions. Where is your confidence the weakest right now in God's word? What's crumbling? Jesus said, if you hear my words and obey them, you're like a person who builds their house on a solid foundation. But if you just hear my words and don't put them into practice, you're like someone who built their house on the sand and when the waves and the storm came in, it crumbled and crashed. Is anything crumbling or crashing in your life right now? Because it wasn't built on God's word or God's ways? So just take a moment to ask him to restore your confidence, your faith, your trust, and your belief in his word and in his ways. Let's listen together.